Well, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, particularly from verse 22 onwards. And what I wanted to do today is, uh, it's the new year. I'm not somebody who likes to give up Christmas easily. For me, I still want it to be Christmas. And so I'm going to speak about the events that happened after Jesus' birth. When Jesus comes and he is presented before the temple. And as I do this, I want to almost do this through the lens of sight. I wanted to think about seeing. Now, for those of you who have glasses, I'm sure you will be able to relate to the situation where you've put them down and suddenly they seem to have vanished. They've gone. And doesn't everything become so much more difficult when you've not got your glasses? Things from being able to recognize faces, things to be able to reading labels, everything becomes so difficult when you have blurred vision. There's another phrase I want us to bear in mind. A lot of people will say that seeing is believing. A lot of people will say that seeing is believing. To see something, that is the true example, the true test to see whether something is true or not. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, we had a, a, quite a large storm in Wales and my wife came into, uh, into the room and she said, Sam, I think one of the trees in the garden has fallen over. And I, being a loving husband, said, don't be stupid. It's not fallen. We would have heard that. So I went and I looked for myself and she was right. The tree had been blown over. But there was something in me that said, no, I, I, I've got to see it for myself. Hearing an account from my wife, who generally I trust, I don't want to give off the wrong impression, but there was even something there that I, I had to find out for myself. It wasn't enough for somebody else to say it. I needed to see it. There is something about sight. And I think when we look at this passage, what I want us to consider is that it is incredibly important that each and every one of us, for ourselves, see Jesus for who he is. It's not good enough if somebody else sees him. It's not good enough if somebody else believes him. The question is, for each and every one of us, what about you? Have you seen Jesus for who he really is? And so as we look at this passage, I want us to consider just a few people who came to see Jesus. People who looked on Jesus and didn't just see him as an ordinary man, but saw him for who he really and truly was. And I just want to address, just as an introduction, I think it's really important to note that many people saw Jesus in his lifetime. Many people walked around and saw him. But there's a difference between seeing Jesus and knowing him. There's a difference between knowing the person that you see. There would be many people who saw Jesus. There would be many people following Jesus to see the miracles. I don't know about you, but if I heard of a man who could do miracles and give free food out, I'd probably be following him around as well. Loads of people went and followed Jesus for the wrong reason. I'm sure when Jesus was dying on the cross, many people saw him. But I want to look at people who saw Jesus for who he truly was. My mum's great at showing me old photographs and she'll ask me the question, 
do you recognize anyone in this photo? And I'll look at the photo, I'll study it for, for many hours, and I'll come back to the conclusion, no, there's no one in that photo that I recognize. My mum will always say the same thing. She'll say, no, you do recognize someone. And I say, no, I don't. My mum and I can look at the same photograph of the same people. And to her, there's someone in that photo of significance. Someone in that photograph of meaning. But for me, when I look at them, they just all look like people. People I don't know, people I've never met. And we have to be incredibly careful that as we come to Scripture, as we come to the Bible, we have to be very careful that we don't see Jesus as just some ordinary man with a nice message. We have to be very clear, very careful, that we see Jesus for who he truly is. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who is above everything, the one who made everything, the one who formed everything. The one who came into this world, for he loved us. The one who died for us, for he loved us. The one who rose again. The one in whom we have hope and life in. I wonder when you look at Jesus, when you think about Jesus, as you read through the Bible, do you recognize Jesus for who he really, truly is? Or do you stare at him blankly, confused about what everyone else sees that you're missing? And so we're going to look today at people who recognize who Jesus truly was. My first point, and my largest point, really is Simeon. I want us to look at the person of Simeon. Now in Luke chapter 2, Jesus has been born, and Mary and Joseph, they take Jesus to the temple. And they do this to fulfill the law of Moses. Everything that they do is done according to the custom of the day. And so they take him to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord. That was the tradition at the time, that you would take your child and present them before God. We've begun a new year, haven't we? And I wonder how many things are we pleased about in the last year? How many things are we going to, in that sense, present to the Lord? How many things are we grateful and thankful to God for in the year that has been? I wonder how thankful we are as people. But this is the custom of the time they would take and praise God for the birth of a son. And this is really when our story begins. I want us to jump really to verse 25. And verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit, was upon him. I just want to begin by saying, now that is a beautiful description of somebody, isn't it? That is the type of person that I would want to be around. That is the type of person that people would want to gravitate to. Simeon has been immortalized in the Bible as being a man who is righteous, a man who is devout, and someone for whom the Holy Spirit was upon. Wouldn't it be lovely If somebody could describe you as being that. Somebody who is righteous and devout. Somebody for whom the Holy Spirit is resting upon. I'd love it if somebody described me as that, and that's probably why I'm not immortalized in the Bible in the same way Simeon is. 
I don't think Simeon ever really expected to be remembered. I don't think Simeon ever thought that thousands of years later, in a place called Cliddach, people would be remembering his faith and obedience. I don't think Simeon ever would have expected that. And as Christians, the reality is, we're not going to be remembered for very long, are we? 60, 70, 80 years' time, who's going to remember us, really? There's not going to be great books written about us. We're not going to be preserved by our faith. We're not going to be preserved by uh, people writing about how great we were. And in many ways, that's not the aim. The goal is not for us to try and be remembered on this life for as long as possible. That's not what we're striving for. But what we should be seeking to do is to live as a people with good character, as people who walk close to him. For eternity is full, not of people who will remember you, not of people who've read a book and an account of your life, but our hope is that heaven will be filled by people who through God's moving and working came to know Jesus through us. That should be the ultimate aim of all of us, shouldn't it? That we in our lives don't get remembered for hundreds and thousands of years, but that in the lives of the people we knew, we had a positive impact on them, and they came to know Christ as we have known Christ. But this beautiful description of Simeon is a reminder for what all we should be. In the next year, stay close to Jesus. Follow him. But then we read about the promise that has been made to Simeon. A glorious, wonderful promise that has been made in verse 26. And it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This is the promise that has been made to Simeon. Before he dies, he is going to see Jesus. What a promise that is. The one that Israel has been waiting for, longing for, desperate to see. Simeon is going to live to see him. The Christ who is going to come, the one who has been promised since uh, the book of Genesis, the one who God has said he will send, Simeon has been promised he's going to see him. He is going to look upon God's salvation for mankind. But we don't know how long Simeon had had this promise for. All we know is that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. We don't know how long he was waiting. Remember, it would have been day after day, Simeon would have been in the temple and people would have been bringing infants. Can you imagine Simeon thinking, is it today? Will today be the day that I see God's salvation? Will today be the day that I see the Christ? I don't know how long Simeon had to wait. But he was holding on to God's promise. And in your lives, I, I don't know all of you personally, I don't know what's happening in your lives, but there might be things that you're holding on to, promises that you're holding on to longings of your heart that you're holding on to, asking God, when will you fulfill? When will you answer? When will you do? 
And I don't know how long you've been waiting. But what I know here is the example of Simeon is he trusted. He held on to the promises of God. He trusted in the God who does all things for the good of those who love him. Day after day wondering, is this going to be the day? This was to fill Simeon's mind, wouldn't it? That one day he will look and see. However, this long wait, at the end of it, what happens? God keeps his promise. What God had promised, God does. And in the perfect time, what God has planned happens. And Simeon finally sees Jesus. After all of this waiting, all of this wondering, all of this longing, we see and read in verse 27. And, the spirit, and, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. There's something in here in verse 27 that there's something different. This is a unique day. This is a special day. Think about all of the children Simeon would have uh, presided over. But there's something unique. There's a prompting or a leading of the Holy Spirit, which obviously, clearly, directly reveals to Simeon who this infant is. Not just any other child, but God's son. Verse 28 says that he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. I love that. That he held Jesus in his arms and he blessed God. I mean, what other reaction can you have? What other reaction can you have other than to bless God in that moment? What is Simeon holding? Well, Simeon is holding a baby. Simeon is holding Jesus. But he's also holding in his arms the God who created and formed everything. I think we sometimes lose sight of how amazing it is that Simeon, a man, took God in his hands. Christ, who is truly man and truly God, was held and cared for and looked after. In his arms he held the fulfillment of the promise. In his arms he held salvation. In his arms he held Jesus himself. And what is his response to meeting with Jesus? Well, there's nothing else he can do other than to bless God. For God has sent his son to save, to redeem, to rescue. And then you see what Simeon says in verse 29 and 30. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now at Christmas time and at New Year, everybody is talking about a sense of peace. Everybody is searching for peace at Christmas. Now, I don't know when you had a peaceful Christmas this year. Maybe your peaceful Christmas is when everyone left at the end. For my family, that's certainly when they had a peaceful Christmas. When I'd gone, when my loud, booming voice at all hours of the day had gone, that's when my parents could finally relax and have a bit of peace. But everyone has been searching for peace. And now as a new year starts, people are hoping that this year will, will be better, will be brighter, will be nicer, 
But here we see the only true peace that matters. The only peace that lasts is found in verse 29. And it's a really quite bizarre phrase that Simeon says. Simeon says, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now the peace that Simeon is talking about is a little bit morbid. Simeon is basically saying, Now I can die. I can die in peace. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. You can say, lighten up, Sam. It's the new year. It's just been Christmas. Be be a little bit more upbeat than that. But Simeon's peace is, he can die. But I want to say this, that there is no greater peace that anyone can know than a peace that transcends death itself. What Simeon knew is that even in death, He was safe in God's presence. That even death could not separate him from the love of God. What Simeon knew is that even in death, even in the the unknown of death, something that uh, when people go through it, you you don't know. They They don't come back and tell you, do they? Even in that confusion, even in that sorrow and horror of death, Simeon knew peace. Why? For he has seen God's salvation. For Jesus has come and that is the the great promise for all of us here today. No matter what this year faces us with, no matter if this year is easier than last year, I hope it is, or maybe it'll be harder than last year. Whatever this year has in store, if you know Jesus, then you know peace in every circumstance, in every situation, even in death itself. There is no greater peace than a peace that has no end, a peace that does not stop. Have you seen Jesus? Have you realized in him that there is a peace that cannot be found anywhere else, a peace with God himself. Verse 30, Simeon continues, For my eyes have seen your salvation. At this moment, Simeon knows and recognizes he's not just looking at a baby. He is looking at God's salvation. He is looking at God's fulfillment. He is looking at the only one who can save. That is what Simeon is staring at. His eyes have seen He is looking at the Saviour, the promised one. Christ has come. Christ is here. Imagine the joy that comes from seeing Jesus entering the world and understanding what Jesus' birth signifies and means. However, Jesus is not just for Simeon. That's good news, isn't it? This joy, this peace is not just for Simeon. As Simeon cries out in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Here we see that Jesus is a light that will bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. What this means is that Jesus Christ is for those who have been waiting for his coming who are expecting him. For God's chosen people, Israel, God, is for them. 
but also a revelation to the Gentiles. For Jew and Gentile, from people from every tribe and tongue and nation, Jesus Christ is the relevant message for them. Jesus Christ is the hope for them. Jesus is their salvation. And all must call upon the name of him. No matter where you're from, no matter whether you were born into wealth or poverty, there is an inclusivity of the gospel for everyone is desperate, everyone is lost, and everyone needs Jesus. For Israel and for the Gentile, the message of Jesus is for everyone. Take heed. And then in verse 33, you get a response. And his father and mother marveled at what had been said about him. These truths mesmerized. They were marveled at them. They brought joy to Mary and Joseph. But what I find really interesting about this is we've just had Christmas. And at Christmas, I'm sure you've read about how the angel appeared to Mary. I'm sure you've read about how the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. About how the angels appeared to the shepherds and the shepherds came. About how the wise men came. What you see is so many encounters and reminders of Mary and Joseph of who Jesus is going to be. Mary and Joseph are constantly being told at the birth of Jesus of who this child is. And yet, they still marvel at who Jesus is. I wonder how many times have you heard a sermon being opened up? You can probably in your heads quickly tot that up. Don't tell me because I'll be able to roughly guess your age. But I wonder how many sermons have you heard? Mary and Joseph heard time and time again, Jesus was special. Jesus was going to do this. I wonder how many times have you heard that? That Jesus is unique. That Jesus is different. That Jesus is life and hope. And what I love about Mary and Joseph's reaction is they heard this for maybe the umpteenth time and yet they still marveled at what was said about Jesus. The challenge for all of us as Christians is how many sermons have you heard? What about your heart? Is it cold? Or are you still marveling week by week, day by day, every time you open the Bible? Is your heart warmed? at the beauty and glory and relevance of Jesus Christ. Mary and Joseph heard time and time again who Jesus was, and yet every time they hear, they marvel. It's a joy. It's a delight. Is your heart lifted up when you hear the glorious truth of who Jesus is? And then we see the account A prophetess, Anna, verse 36 and verse 37. And here she is, an old lady, a widow, 84 years old, and she's waiting in the temple. And what is she doing with her life? She is worshipping, fasting, and praying night and day. Night and day she is praying, fasting, worshipping. Again, I don't want to know your ages, but However young you are, you've got energy to serve the Lord. However middle-aged and average you are, you are, you still have got energy to worship and save the Lord. However old you are, you've got no excuse 
in her old age, here we see the prophet's death, worshipping, fasting, praying, night and day, she says. Now you might be a little bit older than what you once were, I'll put it that way, that's nice, isn't it? You're a little bit older than you once were. And you might not be able to do the things that you could do. You might be slowing down in life. You might not be able to concentrate for as long. But in your spiritual walk, in your older years, in your latter years, do not slow down. Keep on going. Worshipping. Praising. Praying. Fasting. Do not stop following and trusting him. Keep on going. Whatever stage of your life you're in, follow him. Serve him. Find your joy in him. Verse 38 says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here we see there was almost a response and the reaction to seeing Jesus. She saw him. And what does she do? She stops and she goes home and she does nothing. And she thinks, oh, wasn't that lovely? I'm going to go now, have a nice cup of tea and a sit down. The encounter she has with Jesus changes her. It compels her to respond. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Oh, might that be true of us in this church? That to all we speak Jesus to the people around us. That we speak of him to all. That's what we want for this church, isn't it? For us to be so transformed by the view and vision of who Jesus Christ is that we speak to him to all people that we share the good news, that we tell people that there is hope. The world is dark, the world is hard, the world is difficult, but God. I wonder, have you been so filled that you are eager to go and tell anyone and everyone who will listen, and even those who won't, because Christ has changed you and you want to tell others. They saw Jesus and This is their response and their reaction. It's worship and praise and evangelism. However, just in closing, I want to look at someone else who saw Jesus. Someone else who looked upon Jesus and they noticed who Jesus was. They noticed how he was distinct and different and unique. my my, uh, My second point really is the sinner. And I'm still in Luke, but I'm jumping forward ever so slightly to Luke chapter 23. And in Luke chapter 23 and verse 39, it says this. One of the criminals who hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This is the response of somebody who is looking at Jesus in the darkest moment. They are looking at Jesus in the moment where God himself is nailed and dying on the tree. They are laughing and mocking Jesus as 
Christ is dying for sinners. And as one criminal heals, abuse and mocks him, we read verse 40, but the other responded, and rebuking him, he said, do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same condemnation, do you fear God? This sinner recognises that there is something unique and different about the person of Jesus. Jesus is not like them, criminals, but he is unique and different. He later goes on in verse 41 to acknowledge that Christ is not deserving of what he is receiving. And we are indeed are suffering justly for what we are receiving, what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. That's a decree, isn't it? That in the life of Jesus, he did nothing wrong. Never sinned. Never fell short. In every way, in everything he did, he was perfect. Jesus lived a perfect life and Jesus is hanging upon the cross despite the fact he's done nothing wrong. And he hangs on the cross not for his sake, but for our sake. Not for his salvation, but for our salvation. And as Jesus is hanging upon that cross, I love the hymn that says, I scarce can take it in that the king of all creation dying for my sin." I can't put it better than that. I scarce can take it in. I don't understand. Even to this day, I'm still amazed that God would die for me, that God would choose me, that God would love me enough to go to the cross. And then we see verse 42, a man who looks at Jesus and sees him for who he is. And the thief on the cross says this. And he was saying, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. How beautiful is that? Remember me. This is our only plea. It's our only hope. The one thing that we can hold on to is that Jesus will remember us. Notice the thief on the cross didn't say, oh, forget what I've done wrong, but remember the good things. Remember that I treated my parents well. Remember that I was nice that one time? I know it was back at school, but remember when I was nice? Our cry, our decree, our, our hope of salvation is not rooted in what we can do. It's not rooted in what we have done. It is simply that Jesus remembers us. That Jesus died for us. In that moment as he hangs on the tree dying for sin, that he died for what I've done wrong. That is where our hope is. And the thief on the cross sees Christ for who he is and he says, remember me. As you enter into your kingdom, as Christ returns to heaven, remember me. This is our only sin. That Christ, this is our only plea that Christ would remember not our sin, but us. And then you see the response from Jesus. I can't ignore this. Verse 43 and he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And people often emphasize, oh, that's great, isn't it? This very day that the criminal on the cross has gone from being murdered or being executed 
to paradise. Isn't that wonderful? I don't think that's the best bit. I think if you, you think, oh, he's in paradise and it's lovely, I think you're really missing the point. What is the best bit of verse 43? Today I say to you, today you will be with me. Surely that's the best bit. Surely that's what we want. Paradise, well, we'll take or leave that. What we really want is to be with Jesus. To be with the one who loved us. To be with the one who died for us. That's what we want, isn't it? And for all who are trusting in him, one day we will be with him. One day we will see him for who he is. And what I love about these two, I I really called it bookends, as as we begin the new year. Neither of these men saw Jesus' entire life. One saw the beginning. One saw the end. But both saw Jesus for who he truly was. And the big question here today is, what about you? You can read about the beginning of Jesus' life. You can read all the way through to the end of his life. You can see Jesus for who he truly is. You haven't got to listen to somebody like me boring you for half an hour. See him for yourself. Read for yourself. Find out for yourself who this Jesus is. Simeon, at the beginning of Christ's life, saw in him salvation and rescue and hope. And the thief on the cross, a criminal who'd messed up his life, ruined his life. He had so little time left but he noticed and saw Jesus for who he is. The question really is, who do you see Jesus as? And I just want to end just by reading Isaiah 45 and verse 22. Isaiah 45 and 22 is a great verse, and it says, Look and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Today, I wonder, will you look to Jesus? the babe in the manger, the man on the cross, will you look to him and be saved? For he is a saviour.